right. Good to see you out. Second service. And we got a, a little bit more in second service today because of the baptism at the end. And, and some of our first service people I know switched services. But it's great to see you out this morning. And I know it's Mother's Day. I promise we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, I have to give you some background on the series that we're starting this morning. It's going to go for about the next six weeks. And it's called The Lord Raised Up Judges. Moses, uh, one of the most famous people in all of Scripture, led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he died just before they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. That was in about 1450 B.C. Uh, then Joshua led them across the river, and they defeated Jericho, and all the tribes received the inheritance and the land uh, that they needed to go and claim. Joshua died about 25 years after Moses. And then for about 250 years, there was no central leader in Israel. There was no king. There was no real unity among the tribes. It was the Wild West. In fact, there's a quote from Judges that says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Today we call that situation ethics. I get to determine what's right for me in any given situation. And how many understand that if we all feel that way in society, society does not work really well. Okay, if, uh, if we have a school zone that's 25 miles per hour uh, is the speed limit, and some people feel like, you know what, that sounds okay to me, but some people are like, you know, I think I could go 35 in the school zone, and then some of you feel like I could go 55 in the school zone, and some of you feel like, you know what, I'm in a hurry. I could safely go through the school zone at 75. Right? How many understand that doesn't end up working for anyone? It becomes chaos. It becomes the Wild West. Now, when I was a kid, uh, when I was in about fourth grade, a gentleman from New Mexico that was visiting where I was uh, introduced me to a dear friend of mine named Louis Lamour. How many of you guys know Louis? Okay, if you don't, Louis L'Amour was a Western writer. Uh, he wrote about 120 novels. And uh, for the rest of my childhood, like from fifth grade on, and even occasionally now, I'll still go grab a Louis L'Amour book that I've probably read 10 times and read it again. Because the stories of the Old West are just all-encompassing, right? You watch a good old good and the bad and the ugly or fistful of dollars, uh, or you read to tame a land, and, and what happened? Well, there's chaos in a town. Uh, there's nobody keeping track of anybody. People do whatever they want, and then the sheriff comes to town, right? And he comes in, and he, he's all scraggly looking. He looks kind of like Brent the Farmer with a cowboy hat. <laughs> And he's got the cowboy boots, and he comes in with his gun tied down, and somebody challenges his order, and he shoots him down, right? And he has to tame the town. Well, during the times of the judges, this happened repeatedly, again and again and again. And God had already expressed to his people what was right and what wasn't right, but everybody did what was right in his own eyes, and chaos ensued. That's what always happens when there's no foundational basis for morality. And we're seeing that in our own society now because people want to make rules. And, and when we say, well, why should we make that rule? They say, because I feel like it's a good rule. 
That's not the basis for morality, by the way. Yeah, so well over 200 years of this happened where the Israelites lived in this spin cycle and they would rebel against God. Uh, God would allow them to uh, go into bondage to the tribes and nations around them. Sometimes that meant they were heavily taxed. Sometimes it meant that they were lined up and killed. And when they had finally experienced enough of their own way, they would repent, they'd cry out to God, and ask God to deliver them from the enemy and promise that they would never be bad children again, again and again. And God, who is a loving father, would listen to their cries, and it got him every time. Even though he knew that they weren't going to follow through, their cries moved God's heart. Now, some of you maybe are like that with your kids, right? Uh, we had, uh, our boys are 20 two and twenty and when they were growing up and they cried it did not move my heart <laughs> like call me hard and calloused but i just tell them stop crying you gotta you gotta be a man that's when they were one right <laughs> get off your horse and fight like a man um so <clears throat> we watch john wayne movies every night with the boys but um some of you don't even know who John Wayne is, and that's tragic. But, uh, but when the boys were growing up, we didn't really care about that stuff. Uh, and then with Autumn, it's like, okay, I kind of feel sort of bad. And then Sophie, and she's six years old. And my wife has told me repeatedly for the last six years, every time she cries, you go to her. You can't do that. And Autumn feels the same way, and Cody feels the same way, and Dawson feels the same way, and I feel the same way. But I can't help it. When she cries, it's like a magnet. Now, I'm sure that it'll change maybe as she gets older. How many of you think it won't change at all? Yeah, it is pretty bad, I have to admit. Uh, I'm trying to change it, but, but it's with, like with us. Now, how many of you moms, when you had little boys and they cried, it moved your heart? It broke your heart? Okay, uh, how many of you moms were like, it didn't move me at all? Like, I'm just like, okay, just admit it. This young, young man in the back raised his mother's hand just now. <laughs> God bless you, son. God bless you on this Mother's Day. Thank you for honoring your mom, her presence. Uh, how many of you dads, uh, it, when your daughter cry or when a woman cries around you, it's just like you either have to leave the room or you have to help in some way. How many of you feel that way? Okay. How many of you are hard and callous and you don't really care? <laughs> I like Nathan. Nathan's like, that's me. <laughs> just admit it. That's good stuff. Uh, but God, when he heard the cries of his children, he would always give them mercy again and again and again. And Sophie learned that word mercy when she was four years old. I don't know if her teacher at school told her or whatever, but every time she'd get in trouble for about two months, she would say, Dad, can I just have mercy? <laughs> now, who could resist that, right? So God showed mercy again and again and again, and he would raise up a temporary leader called a judge. The judge would lead Israel to freedom and then the whole cycle would begin again. Well, all that brings us to what we're going to talk about today because the woman that we're going to discuss 
came at the end of the Wild West period. She was born into it. Chaos, enemies, famines, uh, religious fraud, moral failure. Even at the tabernacle, the place of worship, the younger priests were going out and stealing meat from off of the sacrifices. Right? You can imagine this, right? They bring in this... Uh, this lamb uh, for the sacrifice, and here comes the priest out with a knife, and he's like, man, that's a good-looking roast. And he takes it while the sacrifice is being done. How many understand you're not supposed to do that? That some of the other priests were taking the money from the temple coffers and taking it down to the local casino. Right? There's a good game going. Maybe we could increase the temple's money. And then they were enticing women in the courtyard of the temple. So things weren't good at all in Mount Ephraim, where Hannah lived, or anywhere else in the tribes of Israel. It's a dark, dark time in history. We're going to read, though, in 1 Samuel this morning, if you want to head that direction. Also, the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And the message today on Hannah is going to address some things, obviously, that deal with mothers, but it's really a message for all of us. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, and Ephrathite. Whew! We made it through verse 1. I knew it was going to be a challenge. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the, Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, that I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So in this time period of the Wild West during the Judges, Hannah came to God with a special request, having absolutely no idea that her answer to prayer would become the final judge. We're going to talk about that at the end, but first let's uncover Hannah's pain. It's the first part of our message today. Hannah's pain. Pain is a universal reminder that the human race needs help. Pain is in every country on earth. It's in every socioeconomic group. 
It's in every family. Pain is all around us. Pain is inside of us. Hannah lived with a gnawing pain in her life. Now, her family unit was common to this time of chaos. Uh, Everybody was doing whatever they felt like was right, including Elkanah, Hannah's husband. Elkanah loved Hannah, but he also had another wife named Penina. Penina had children. Hannah had none. Hannah was certainly bothered by the fact that she didn't have any children. But this wound was inflamed by an adversary within her own family unit. Assumably, this adversary was Penina, at least according to the pronoun she in verse 7, we would think the. And it's interesting how when families uh, don't go with God's original family plan, which is one man for one woman for one life, they always struggle. And here Elkanah decides, you know what, Uh, the custom is pretty clear that we have two wives. But it caused conflict in his home. Can you imagine being in the Solomon family? Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner? I mean, good grief. There were some discussions there. Right? Uh, it, it was not God's plan. And so here, Hannah and Penida are having this struggle. Mother's Day, kind of like in Hannah's life, Mother's Day is a happy time for some ladies like Penina, but for other ladies like Hannah, not so much. Maybe they, like Hannah, have wanted children but have been unable to have them. Maybe they've gone through the pain of miscarriage or of losing a child at birth or after birth. There is no pain so unbearable as this. We're going to see that Hannah wanted God to do something to her pain to make it go away. And sometimes God does something to our pain. Other times he does something through our pain. We're going to see the difference in a while. So Hannah had been feeling this emptiness for years. Penina constantly reminded her that she wasn't good enough and she wasn't worthy and she wasn't a good wife and she had nothing to live for. She wasn't blessed by God. Penina knew which buttons to push and she pushed him every chance she got, especially at this time of the yearly religious feast. The whole family would travel uh, to the where the tabernacle was located. Hannah would get so distraught at this time of the year, that she would just cry all the time and not eat anything. Well, her husband didn't really know how to help her, which is common with virtually all husbands on earth at certain times. And ladies, please know out loud amens on that. Now, listen to what Elkanah said, and you tell me whether or not uh, he knew how to help his dear wife. Here's what he said. Hannah, why are you crying again? Why aren't you eating? Why is your heart so sad? Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Now I'm guessing the answer, never spoken, was um, not really. (laughs) That's kind of the unspoken, read between the lines lingo there. Uh, So the family made it to Shiloh, they got settled in. 
And then Hannah wandered off toward the tabernacle, uh, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, not knowing how to pray. Pain drives us to these places. Pain will take you to a place where you're helpless to do anything, where you aren't in control of outcomes, where you have no words, where you don't even know how to speak to God. By the way, when the pain is like that, your need for God is exposed at its highest level, like at no other time, as is God's care for you. And your relationship with God will grow exponentially during the pain and the valley of your life. Christians don't ever grow on the mountaintops. They grow in the valleys. They grow in the struggles. These last couple of days, I've been down uh, at the pediatric hospital at St. Luke's, downtown Boise. And uh, one of our young families, uh, actually one of our deacons, Brandon Hunt, his wife Anna, uh, their young son Dylan, three years old, has just been diagnosed with leukemia. And so they had to do uh, some things with him, even Friday and even yesterday, to put a port in. He's going to receive his first doses of chemo and and uh, they did uh, uh, bone marrow, and yeah, it's just been an ordeal for this family. Uh, you be praying for them. Uh, I told first service, we always want to help families in need, uh, but we always want to help them the best way possible, right? We don't want to help them, and in our effort to help them, we actually cause them more misery. And uh, here's what's happened in this modern age of uh, texting and sharing and uh, there's like 25 or 35 people who are trying to communicate with them because they care about them but for them that sort of feels like man I've got to try to communicate with all these different people so if you would help uh, the hunts we're going to do a centralized point of communication they're in the small group of Steve and Stacy Wester and Stacy's going to be the communication point Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, maybe you want to go down for lunch or dinner and go buy them some Zupas or Chick-fil-A or whatever's down there by the hospital. Uh, you can text Stacy on this. We need people to do it. Her number is 720-838-5161. If you want to help this family, uh, they also have little Bailey and uh, she's eight months old, and so be praying for them. If you would like to be on the prayer chain, uh, tell the staff or do bulletin tear off of communication card, and we'll get you on that as well. But be praying for the hunts. They're going through this struggle, this pain, like Hannah did. And, and here Hannah, in her deep pain, struggles and staggers into the outer court of the tabernacle, She's weeping and praying before God. And let's see this next part, Hannah's promise. Hannah's promise. So she says to God, God, if you'll just remember me, and if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you for his entire life. And she, uh, she's so desperate for relief from her bitterness that Hannah vowed a binding oath to God. She said, God, please notice me. Such an interesting thing. She said, God, I'm hurting. Please remember me. Please don't forget me. And God, if, 
if you'll look on my affliction and you'll give me a son, I'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Well, Hannah's over there weeping and praying and mouthing the desires of her heart to God. And her body language showed uh, such despair that the priest assumed that she was drunk. Now, the truth is, Eli, the priest, he didn't run into very many spiritual people in these days. He was seeing a lot of drunk people in the temple, including his own sons. He was seeing a lot of phony religious effort, not much sincere prayer. And Hannah's case stood out to him. He said, are you, what's, what's going on here? And she said, no, sir, I haven't been drinking. Uh, I'm just a woman with a sorrowful spirit pouring out my soul to God. Eli was a little stunned by her words, and he told her, go in peace. And he even threw in some encouragement. He said, the God of Israel, grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And for the first time in years, Hannah experienced relief. She experienced something close to joy. In fact, the quote is, her countenance was no more sad. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Please don't miss this. This is huge. Hannah had gone to the right place with her pain. She had gone to the right place with her pain. You can go a lot of different places with your pain, but there's only one pain taker. And Hannah had tried for years to push her pain deeper inside. A lot of people do that. But it hadn't worked. She had tried fasting. Uh, the priest thought she had tried substance abuse. A lot of people do. Anything to numb the pain. Some people try new relationships to take away the pain of old relationships. And then they end up trying more new relationships to take away the pain of the relationships they tried for taking away the pain of relationships. Some people try to ease pain through entertainment. Let's go to the Marvel movie four times and numb the pain for a few hours. Or maybe you just like Marvel. Uh, or let's go on an experience or a trip or a thrill or buy some new clothes or a new electronic gizmo or a new body enhancement. Some people take their pain to social media and they temporarily feel better when they get 35, 36 likes. But they feel worse when they only get 13 likes because not enough people care about their pain. Some people throw themselves into religious deeds to alleviate pain. Not a horrible idea, but belief is only valuable if you're believing in the right thing. If the object of your faith isn't grounded in truth, religious deeds will not take away your long-term pain. Hannah went to the right place with her pain. She went to God, her creator, who had infinitely good plans for her, who cared more deeply for her than her husband possibly could, nothing against Mr. Elkanah. She went to the God who has never been surprised by the pain of any person and who's never been dismayed by the struggle of his children. Hannah went to the God who wept at her weeping and who was moved by her tears. Going to the right place with her pain led directly to this next part, Hannah's peace. So if we take our pain and we go to the right place with our pain, then God is able to give us peace. 
In fact, Paul told the church at Philippi, he said, listen, don't be worrying about so many things. He said it this way, be careful for nothing. Don't take on all the cares of this world. Uh, he said, but listen, in all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace that passes understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Hannah, her countenance was no more sad. She'd given her burden to God, and now she had peace. Well, the Elkanah family got up the next morning, and they did the feast ritual, and then they headed back to Ramah, where they lived. And soon after, Hannah found out that she's going to have a baby. Uh, so God had heard her prayer, and, and not only did she have peace, God was going to give her more than peace. I want you to notice something, though, from this passage that sometimes gets missed. Look back with me to verse number 5. So 1 Samuel 1, verse number 5. I want you to look at the end of the verse. Look what it says. But the Lord had shut up her womb. The Lord had shut up her womb. Now look at the end of verse number 19. And the Lord remembered her. Why would God allow Hannah to go through the trial, through the pain? Why would God temporarily allow Hannah's womb to be closed? We don't all know all the answers, but we could make a guess. God was going to use Hannah's experience for his glory. Hannah was going to raise the final judge. She was going to prepare Samuel to be used by God. And so God had to prepare her heart first. And I want you to listen to me very closely. This is so important. God will never waste your pain. He'll never waste your pain. Whether it's pain that he's allowed into your life as a circumstance, or whether it's pain you've brought off by your choices, God will never waste your pain. He always wants to use your pain for his glory. And he works all things together for good to them that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So many people push back against their pain, which is completely natural. But God desires to use your painful experiences to build you into a person of faith. And I know that it seems like we should ask God to do something to our pain, to take it away. But really, we should ask God to do something through our pain. See, David said that he is the God who can bring you up out of a horrible pit and set your feet on a rock and establish your goings and put a new song in your mouth, even a song of continual praise. Here's one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this. It says, blessed is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, all of it, whether we made it, whether somebody else did it, whether somebody hurt us, wounded us, whether it's a circumstance, he comforts us in all our tribulation. Now listen to why. That we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God will take your pain and comfort you 
so that you can comfort someone else. But he'll only do it if you're authentic. You know, there are people who've gone through pain and they've never helped anybody because they're afraid to say they went through pain. And God allowed you to go through that pain so that you can help somebody else who's going through the pain and has no answer and has nowhere to turn. God wants to use your comfort to comfort others. So Hannah had a son. She named him Samuel, which means asked of God. And everything about Samuel brought resolution to Hannah's situation. The level of her sorrow was completely overshadowed by the transcendence of her joy. The pain was gone. God allowed her to have a son. And then her son became a catalyst to her finding her life purpose. We don't have time to do it this morning, but you should read Hannah's prophetic prayer in chapter 2. Did you know that little old Hannah was the first person in the Old Testament to give the Hebrew term Masiach, which means Messiah, a prophecy of Jesus the Christ, who wouldn't be born for another 1,200 years? Hannah's the one who did that. You know, God uses all sorts of ways to help us find purpose in life. And when people tell their faith stories, they always mention something that moved their faith ahead. For Hannah, it was the pain and peace surrounding the birth of Samuel. And, and you might call that pivotal circumstances. That was her faith catalyst. Maybe it's yours too. There are some other faith catalysts that you should know about. So not only pivotal circumstances, but I'll give you four more just to think about real quick. Practical teaching may be a faith catalyst. You uh, hear the word of God and, and you've read a passage. This happens to me a lot. I've read a passage uh, 50 times, 60 times, and then I sit down and hear a podcast and somebody does this passage and it's like I just heard it for the first time. Practical teaching is a faith catalyst. That's why church is important. Private disciplines can be a faith catalyst. When we begin to walk with God for ourselves, when we begin to live a life of prayer and get into his word, personal ministry can be a faith catalyst. A lot of people say, I didn't really know what my purpose was in life until I got into ministry. And then I found out this is what God made me to do. And I'd love to hear those stories. Providential relationships can be a catalyst as well where God allows your path to intersect with the path of somebody else at just the right time to move your faith forward. And if you told your faith story today, I guarantee you that one of those five was a faith catalyst in your life. Somebody came along at just the right time. When you weren't even expecting it, you walked into a store or you walked into a doctor's office or somebody came down the path and, and ran smack dab into you and your life was changed. What has God brought into your life to move your faith journey forward? Have you ever thought of what it might be? Because God's got big plans for you, just like he had for Hannah. Let's finish by talking about Hannah's present. A lot of people make desperate vows to God, and, and then they fail to follow through. But Hannah willingly offered her son as a gift for God's use. There are so many stories, and maybe you could tell some, of wartime, crunch time, emergency time, prayers to God. 
God, if you will, then I will. If you'll allow this plane to land, if you'll allow my daughter to recover, if you'll give me a better job, if you'll take away this cancer, if, if, if. But then when things settle down and the crisis is over, most people tend to set aside their part of the big bargain. Hannah raised little Samuel through his formative years, uh, the years that are so important to producing quality young people, and then she took him to Shiloh and offered him for God's use forever. By the way, when she went to do this, the same priest who saw her praying and assumed she was drunk was the priest who accepts Samuel into temple ministry. Look what Hannah said. You don't want to miss this. At the end of chapter 1, and uh, I hope you can look at this first. 1 Samuel 1, verse 27. Look what she said. For this child I prayed, and the Lord had given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Mom, isn't that an amazing prayer? The truth is you could pray that exact same prayer of God's precious gifts in your life. Raising children is a temporary assignment that prayerfully leads to God's purposes being done in their lives. But I want you to notice something at the end of verse 28. This is huge. Look at the last sentence. It says, and he worshiped the Lord there. This is talking about Samuel. Samuel wasn't worshiping because his parents did. He wasn't worshiping because the priests did. He wasn't worshiping because it was the tradition. He was worshiping God by choice. He made his own personal decision to follow the Lord. The prayer of every Christian parent should be that the child God has given you will form a personal relationship with God for himself or herself. Your faith is not strong enough to carry your kids into adult Christianity. It's not. They have to have their own faith. And if they don't know Jesus in a personal way, all the Sunday school classes and vacation Bible schools and youth groups and youth camps aren't going to be enough to carry them to adult faith. It has to be a personal decision. Could I tell you the most important guide to that decision? Parents who live out authentic faith before their kids. Why did Samuel worship? Well, because Hannah and Elkanah did. Their faith was real, so real that Hannah followed through on her present to God. Pastors and youth leaders and as Sunday school teachers and youth mentors, they're all important. But parents are the foundation of faith that a kid needs to have a secure, lifelong relationship with God. Just before we close in prayer, I, I want to ask you this morning about your personal relationship with Jesus. For starters, uh, do you have one? Do you know for certain right now as you sit in that chair that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I'm not talking about think so or hope so or maybe so. I'm talking about for certain. And we can take God's word and show you how you can know that today. Here's another question I have for you. 
Have you been thinking of your pain as God's bad intentions for you? And I want you to remember, God will never waste any part of your pain. He wants to redeem your pain for his glory. If you have deep pain today, there's only one place to go, to God. Those are the things that are on hearts today. I, I know because we all experience pain. And we all need a relationship with Jesus. We're going to have a special commitment prayer this morning. I'm going to invite those who are going to be baptized to go out and be dismissed out uh, to get ready for baptism. And all the moms in the room today who would like to be part of a commitment prayer, uh, you could come right to the front and just join hands together as moms all in solidarity. All the moms who want to be a part of a special commitment prayer, go ahead and come right up, moms. And we'll have a special prayer for you as we <clears throat> close out this special Mother's Day service. All the moms, come right on up. Join hands. And I'm going to invite uh, our brother Sidney White to come to the stage. He's going to give the commitment prayer for our moms as I go out and prepare for the baptism. And moms, we just love you. We're so thankful for what God's doing in your life. And if you're a mom and you want to be part of this prayer, uh, even at your seat, join hands with your kids or wherever you're at. Brother Sidney. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for life, for health and strength. Lord, we thank you for godly moms, for moms who know the way, the truth, and the life, for moms that will train their children up in the way that they should go, in the truth that they should embrace in the life that they should revere and, and emulate. Lord, you told us in your word that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by you. We pray, Lord, that you would infuse these godly mothers with your precious Holy Spirit. Just fill their lives to overflowing that the love, that your love might flow through them into the lives of their husbands and their children. Father God, just bless them in all that they do. We honor them. We commit them to you work your will, your precious, perfect will in their lives, each and every one. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, moms. And as you find your way back to your seat, we, as Pastor said, we do have baptisms this morning. We've got the youngsters coming in. 
in the back right now. And if you have someone this morning that is being baptized, by all means, feel free to get up from your seat. If you need to come on stage for photos or videos, you will not be a bother. This is a big thing. This is something at Centennial that we celebrate. It's not a funeral. It is a celebration. And so we cheer, we clap, we just enjoy watching believers take their next steps in baptism. And we'll explain just a little bit more about that in a second. But, but while they're getting ready and while the kiddos are coming in, I want to remind you of two things. And, um, and that is, we have a Wednesday night Bible study every week, but for the summer, we're taking a break from our traditional Bible study that we do, and it's just going to be a 10-week book study called Build Below the Baseline. So it's for 10 weeks, it's going to start on May 22nd, and it's a book-driven study, pastor will teach it, and there is a, a follow-along that you can use with a book. And if you would like to be a part of that, you can sign up um, in the lobby on your way out today at Connection Point. There's a sign-up sheet there just so we have can make sure that we order enough materials for everyone who wants to be a part of that uh, during the summer. And then um, for those of you who have families, we... we Skip this last year just because it was a little bit of a chaotic summer, but we're doing it again now, and we're going to have our family camping trip. And this is just where we rent several spots, uh, a good chunk of, of the campground up at Silver Creek. If you've ever been to Silver Creek, it's a nice little area. There's a hot springs, and it's just a good time for families to come. It's like a Thursday night through a Saturday uh, as long as you want to stay, and if you want to stay extra, you can, and you can come up during any of those times. The only fees you have to pay is uh, the actual campground uh, fee for renting that site. And so if you would like to be a part of that as well, you can sign up in the lobby. If you've got more uh, questions, you can email the church office. We would love to um, have you and your families join us together as a church family as we, as we camp out and just enjoy God's creation and, and each other. And so as the pastor is getting ready for baptism, and as, as most of the folks are still going to be coming in, I just want to explain uh, for a second what baptism is. Most of you may know, maybe you don't know, but baptism does not save you, and, and we know that because uh, Scripture tells us that. Uh, Jesus uh, was baptized. He set an example. John the Baptist baptized him. If you look in Scripture, he was baptized by immersion, which is what we do at Centennial. He was buried in the likeness of his death, and he was raised to resurrection. Nowhere in Scripture will you see where he was sprinkled or, or anything uh, like that. And so that is the why, why we baptize the way we do here. And we know that it doesn't save us, but it's just uh, a symbol that identifies us with Christ, and it identifies us um, that we are not ashamed of him and who he is. Much like a wedding ring, you can throw on a wedding ring or a wedding band, but if you haven't actually uh, gotten married or said the words, the vows, you're not married. And if I take off my wedding ring, it doesn't mean I'm not married. It's just, it's a symbol to others that I'm married and I'm not ashamed. And so baptism is much the same way for believers. And this morning, as we have all these folks coming in to get baptized, I hope you will join us in celebration. Like I said, we, we want to enjoy this and make it a big deal today and let all of these folks know that we love them and we are excited that they are identifying with Jesus today in baptism. So as they come forward, I'll pass it over to Pastor Tony for a moment, and I'm going to do some videoing as well. No mic. You don't need a mic. 